Well, what's happening? As always, you're listening to Josh Talks. My name's Joshua McClellan. And today's a special day. We're on to episode 20, which is which is which is a great number, to be honest. I started this podcast off as a hobby. It still is a hobby. I'm really, really enjoying it. But I want to share with you some things that have happened over the last couple of months. So I found out today that I have listeners in over 22 countries. It's being listened to in over 258 cities. So thank you all for tuning in. And there's actually some mad places that it's got to. You know, it's it's been listened to in Norway, Germany, France, India, Australia, the United States. It's being listened to, it seems like, everywhere. So thank you so much for, for your support. What I would love for you to do is, if you sub to me, make sure you're following me on Instagram, on Facebook, at Josh Talks. Make sure you're subscribed on Spotify and Apple Music. And I've got another real big favour. Can you all leave me a review on iTunes? It would mean the absolute world to me. It helps me get more guests on. One of the ways I get guests is through Instagram. So the more followers I have, the better guests I can get on. And the guests that I've got on at the minute have been absolutely amazing. We've got some amazing episodes coming up for June, July and August. I've got so many amazing things in the works. Let's just say... I've got professional boxers on. I've got people who are currently fighting in the UFC. Trust me when I say this, you do not want to miss any of the episodes coming up. You're going to absolutely love them. Let's get to this week's episode. I'm not going to talk too much because, to be honest, you've listened to me long enough. This week on the podcast, we'll have Connor Washington. He plays for Northern Ireland football team. And we'll leave it at that. Just make sure you're listening. Tell me what you think. Now enjoy the episode. Welcome to Josh Talk. Well, Connor, how are you? I'm all good, thanks, mate. Yourself? Oh, I'm doing well. I was was out fishing today, so not too bad. Nice and chilled one for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cold now. I was cold. Raining quite a yeah. bit. So I think the best way to start, I was looking at your Instagram and I seen, are you still studying the sports science? I am, yeah. My second year. So how, how long have you got of that? Uh, probably four or, four or five, just depending on how quickly I can do the residential trips, really. I'll go into the uni and, and do some lab reports and stuff in there, so <clears throat> in between four and five, hopefully. So how come you started to decide that that's what you wanted to get into? Uh, obviously, I, I'm very aware of the fact that football's not going to last forever. Um, and having come into the game the way I did, obviously I've worked and been in, been on that side of the fence as well. So... Um, it's just just trying to give myself as much opportunity as I can to to do something that I really really enjoy after I finish. Would you ever consider going into coaching or or anything in that sort of role? No, I don't think so. I'm not I'm not too sure if I want to work in football. To be honest, I mean I'm going down the sports science route, but it's a very sort of broad subject that you can take quite a few different ways. So I'm not too sure at the minute. To be honest, of course we'll, t- we'll touch on that. Then what was your journey in the football? Uh, so I'd never played uh, at an academy or anything, been part of a professional setup, and was just playing non-league stuff really, playing with my mates, uh, working and playing playing Tuesday, Saturday, and maybe training on a Thursday evening. I think it was like step ten of English football, um, and just just started doing really well, just really enjoying myself. I filled out a bit, grew a bit, 
Um, not well, didn't grow that much to be fair. I'm not exactly the tallest now. Um, but yeah, just start, like I was saying, just just started to enjoy my football and started scoring goals, and and that was the sort of the catalyst for for Newport and the couple of clubs to sort of come and take a look at me. And obviously, I managed to to, to get myself a move to Newport after scoring goals for St Ives Town. So then, obviously, the journey from there is what it is. So were you ever going on trial when during like your younger days plan? I went um, two or three times, I think. Uh, Norwich, I went to Peterborough, I went to as well, which is obviously funny because I ended up playing for them anyway. But I think I was very conscious of going on trial. I think my skill set and what I bring to the to the game is probably would have wouldn't have necessarily translated well to youth team football, I don't think. So I'm really glad that I was playing. I mean, I was playing first team um, non-league football at sort of 16, 17. And that just sort of made me a better all-rounded player and harness sort of the things that I already do have. Um, and obviously it's worked out in the end. I think it's a massive benefit as well because, you know, you're going into adult football, especially that young as well, it helps you develop better as, as a player because you're coming up against me. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you see it with some of the boys, obviously, um, that side of the water with little Paul Smith and Shane Lavery playing against teams and men, like you say, at, at that level, that age. He, he just gives them a totally different sort of string to their bow. I mean, I've seen it so many times with technically brilliant players coming out of the under-23s, etc., but... They've never been in a proper game of football in their life, so they've got a, it's very much sink or swim there. But with players like Shane and Paul and a lot, a lot of the other players, obviously that, that end up coming over, and um, you see that straight away that they've been exposed to that. When you were were playing, and obviously you were getting a whole lot of goals, did you know that there was teams looking for you or looking at you? Um, I was probably a bit naive, to be honest. I think there was a little bit of paper talk and stuff, but. If I'm honest, that makes me feel old now. But the social media side of it wasn't anywhere near as pronounced as it is now. This was what going back 10, 11 years ago. So Twitter was sort of just starting to come around and things like that. So it wasn't really, they wouldn't have really been discussing a striker that was scoring goals at, at step 10, to be honest. So yeah, like I said, I was probably a little bit naive in terms of that. And I'd heard sniffs and there was, there was obviously rumours going around and stuff. But I think because I'd never been involved in it and I didn't really understand it, to be honest. So it was very much just keep ploughing on and keep trying to score goals and enjoy myself and then sort of try and let that take care of itself. So you got your move to Newport and, and you did well. And then what what I always sort of find that like it's a bit crazy. It's like, I think is your first transfer fee was for £6,000. You know, it's, you know that's, that's one of those mild ones. Like the, the more you go up, like it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, the, the fees. Yeah, it was an interesting one because obviously at the time I don't even think I'd earned that from working. So that seemed like a crazy <laughs> amount of money. The fact I was worth anything as a footballer was a real surprise to me. Never mind five or six grand, like you say. But obviously the, the money that gets thrown around now is crazy and doesn't. It's not really proportionate to anything. But yeah, it was a thinking about it. Uh, brought a smile to my face that that five six grand or whatever it was is uh, well, the good thing about it was that. The, the team that I played for, St Ives, um, put a sell-on fee in my contract as well. So when I did end up moving from Newport to Peterborough, they got a decent chunk of money and kept them going. And I think they set up 
set up a, an academy where sort of kids get the football coaching and the education as well. So obviously I'm very proud that I've, I've been able to be a part of that. Yeah, I think it's it's the same as um, I think it was with Crusaders over here in Northern Ireland when they saw Galvin White. You know, I think they got a good wee bit of money, and you can see that it was invested in the squad, it was invested in the academy. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, it's great for the game, isn't it? I think it should be a it should be a given that, especially with the non-league clubs and, and teams that aren't obviously playing right at the top top level, that that they should definitely be given a chance because. Especially like people like Gav as well. The Crusaders were a big part of his development and helped him grow as a player. And he didn't suddenly become a very good player in England, did he? He was a very good player for Crusaders. He's just been polished up. So, yeah, I think they they deserve every penny they get. I think that's the exciting thing about Northern Ireland at the minute that there's there's more of a pathway into the game now as well because a lot more teams are going going full time. I don't know if you'd be familiar with like Lauren. Lauren's going full time. Crusaders have been full time, and you know it's it's bringing a whole lot. You know, a lot of kids sort of come home from England having not quite get not quite made it as such and, and it's given them another chance into the game. Oh for sure, yeah. I think going back to the example of myself, um and obviously with probably Shane as well to to a certain extent, is you, you don't fill out and grow and become a, a sort of man until well, much later to be honest. I'd probably say well over twenty one for me and sort of filled myself out and became body aware if if you like. Um so being able to go back home and, and play at a top level where teams are full-time, and like you say, it's, it's a much better pathway to the game um, because obviously leaving home and going to England is tough enough as it is, never mind then going to play 23s football. So I think it would be a massive benefit to, to the lads coming through if they can get that first-team experience early. And obviously the more, the more full-time teams you get in that league, the, the better the standard and the better the play you're going to get out of it. So it's only it's only good for the country and the national team as well. How did you find the transition into full-time football? Because I was talking to um, Stuart Elliott, so he represented Northern Ireland and then he went across, he's playing for Glen Torn and then went over to Mullerwell. And he says that, you know, the hardest thing getting used to was like he thought he was fit at that sort of level and then transitioning into the full-time game. He was like, Flatland, like, there's a lot of work here today. Yeah, I echo that totally. And it was the hardest move I've made, to be honest, um, in terms of level, fitness, just everything. Um, just a totally different type of fitness. Like, obviously, he's saying there is, is exactly that. You, you think you're fit, but you're not even close to it. Um, and it was a real eye-opener for me, and it took me seriously long time, six months, maybe maybe longer, to be honest. To get to get anywhere near the fitness levels and even the, the technical standard, to be honest, I learned so much and improved so much in that first sort of twelve to eighteen months of being a professional footballer. It was it was scary, really. Obviously, you you've played the whole way up through for the league system in England. Can you notice a massive difference between the leagues? Um, it's probably quite subtle, to be honest. Um, league two to League one, there's not an enormous amount. The championship sort of starting to break away from League One now, I would say. Um, obviously, I've not played in it for, what, two two seasons, three seasons now. So, But the standard just looks like it's getting better all the time. I mean, even from when I first joined QPR and was playing in the Championship to when I left sort of two years later, you'd had the like the influx of all the, uh, the Portuguese Wolves players. I mean, you're playing against Jota, uh, Neves, Cavaleiro, uh, all, all guys that have gone on to be established Premier League players. So, and even with, I mean, Newcastle were in the league, that league as well. 
with Lascelles, Shelby, players like that. So, th- I mean, that's probably a step above. And then League Two and League One, sort of top half of League Two, top four or five teams would, would compete in League One pretty comfortably, I would imagine. You see it a lot, don't you? The back-to-back promotions, League Two, mm. League One with Luton and, and stuff like that. So, um, But they're all improving all the time, to be honest. Uh, with the, the funding, obviously, it'd probably take a bit of a, a knockback now with, with the COVID stuff. But um, the way the game's going, everything's improving, facilities and stuff like that. So it's, it can only be good for the game, really. You were saying there about Wolves, and I wouldn't really follow the Irish League much, but... um. My wife's daddy, like he, he loves Crusaders, like he, he loves them and, and Wolves came over the cruise. And I remember I, I got tickets to the game to go watch it with him and seeing Adama Traore run down the sideline. That is just a freaky man. Absolutely yeah, he's massive. different level, isn't he? Yeah, played against he's him a couple of times. And he's, he doesn't even look real, does he? He's yeah. so strong, so quick. And I think that's where a lot of the, the advancements have come recently in the last couple of years. That They're all as well as being technically good, which they've always been, they're all athletes now. Every single one of them, you you don't really get those players that are carrying a bit of timber anymore. It just doesn't really happen. Um, so the game's been played at a higher intensity, a better level. So yeah, that that's probably the biggest the biggest step up, I would say. That's that the, the the baby oil on the arms and all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, you've got to go to that level to stop people gripping you up. Then you know you must be doing something right. 100%. Um, so then then you're moving and you move to QPR and you're, play, you're playing in, in the championship. How, how did you find it? Uh, yeah, I think it was obviously when you look at the move as a whole, it probably didn't, well, it definitely didn't go to plan. Uh, but I mean, I was on a real hot streak at Peterborough. I was feeling really confident in myself and scoring goals pretty regularly, pretty much, pretty much a goal a game by the time I moved. And then the opportunity to go to a massive club like QPR and play under Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank with obviously Les Ferdinand as director of football. I mean, it's a striker's dream, really. Um, but it, it just never really clicked. I think I would have liked to have been thrown in straight away coming off the hot streak. And I think QPR sort of wanted to bed me in a bit slower and sort of lost a little bit of the momentum I had going into, going into that move. And as a striker, I mean, momentum's everything. You get on a good run and... You feel like you're going to score all the time, but I learned I learned a hell of a lot from from uh, playing under Jimmy, and it was it was obviously a really good experience as well to to play at that level as many times as I did. Is something that I never thought I would achieve when, like you say, I was moving for five five grand to Newport. I would never have said I'd go on to play over a hundred games in the championship. So um, yeah, so it was a real good learning curve, and um, I improved a lot as a player and learned learned a lot about the game different different parts of it that I'd never really considered before and um, I'm definitely a better man and a better player for, for having that move even though it didn't work out You were talking about sort of like being on a hot streak do you think it's more of like the mental side of the game or, or, or what do you put it down to? Yeah I think it definitely is that um, as you see it you see it all the time don't you with, with strikers that they can have one season where they just go and score 30 and you think well what has much really changed? Have they improved that much as a player? Probably not. Um, they'd get, they're probably getting the right information, being told the right things, and the team might be playing sort of towards their strengths a little bit more. But I think I think uh, the, probably the biggest part of it has to be that that 
that mentality. I think you probably see it with Werner this year. He's not become a bad player overnight. It just doesn't happen like that. And obviously the abuse is getting crazy. But um, it's probably for him, it's just a bit of a crisis of confidence. And I think that's all it is. I think as soon as he scores in three consecutive games or four consecutive games or whatever, just gets a couple of lucky ones in off in off his shin or whatever, then I think he'll go on to, to be the player he was at um, Leipzig. Would you follow any of the Premier League teams? Uh, I was an Arsenal fan growing up, but... <laughs> I don't, I don't watch a massive amount of it, to be honest. I think, especially without the fans, I think it's been so boring, most of it, to yeah. be honest. Uh, the big, I enjoy the bigger games. And and obviously, I like watching games where I know I know players and I've played with people and I've got relationships with them. So, um, but yeah, as an Arsenal fan growing up, I absolutely loved it, like die hard. But I think a lot of players probably feel the same, really, as, as you go into it and you you start playing, you probably, you probably lose a little bit of that. I think I, what you were just saying there is I've talked to quite a few people now who who are professionals in different sports. So obviously yourself playing football and I've talked to a few guys from rugby or, or fighting or whatever, but more more so like the team sort of sports. What what I've noticed is people saying with, with COVID is that it's almost like like a training session. Like obviously the stakes are a lot higher because there are no fans. It's sort of like a sort of different sort of feel to it. Yeah, it almost it feels normal now to be honest. Having done a whole season of it, but those first five or ten games were just so strange. It just it just felt like an extension of preseason. That's all. That's all it felt like in a nice stadium, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just just no atmosphere, and it it been obviously it's hard to it's hard to know if it affects it affects the play. It definitely does, obviously, but it's hard to quantify that. But when you look at some of the results we've had this year. I think like Villa didn't Villa beat Liverpool seven four or something. Yeah. Like, that just doesn't happen with fans, it does it? It just does not happen. Simple as that. I just, there's no way on earth that would happen. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. You just lose some of that intensity out of the game, and maybe the the players don't feel that. Some players might might have enjoyed it more because they they don't like the pressure of the fans, and obviously some fan bases are hard to please or whatever. So, but yeah, for me, I think it's been it's been painful, especially international games. That, I mean. It's the best. It's the best atmosphere I've ever played in at, mm. at, at the national stadium. So it was such a shame, especially with those big games we had as well. I think it would just would have made such a difference, especially the Slovakia one. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things. It's it's been hard for supporters as well. You know, like me, I wouldn't really get over to England to watch Liverpool much. Like that's that's who I would follow. So it's been a wee bit of a a hard season. But you know, when when you go over to either watch Northern Ireland or you're watching Liverpool or whoever you're watching, the atmosphere is normally unbelievable. Like you can almost feel like the vibrations of it. You know, yep. as soon as you walk in the same, it just sort of hits you. Yeah, exactly that. Um, it's such a shame as well. I think the teams that have those atmospheres have probably suffered a lot more as well. Um I know I think West Ham obviously done really well this year. Um from what I gather, it's usually a pretty toxic atmosphere there. So mm. there's definitely some teams that are gonna gonna benefit from it. But teams like Liverpool, who not rely on it, but I mean, if you're an opposition player going into that stadium and hearing that noise every time you get the ball, hearing you getting jeered and things like that, it's definitely gonna affect your game. And I think it's it's shown this year. I think so. Was it at Peterborough that, that you started to have interest from Northern Ireland about making your debut and then you made your debut at QPR? Yeah, 
Exactly that, yeah. Uh, obviously, I started started to do well with at, at League One level and scoring goals, and there was rumours about me moving. And uh, I think I can't remember which way around it was. I think if my agent contacted um, the gaffer at the time and said that I was eligible to to play. So when during like your sort of football career, when do you sort of like decide like this is the time I need to get an agent and this is the time that I need to start doing all this stuff and let them handle it. I was really lucky, I think. So I was playing for St Ives and I was playing with a guy called Junior McDougald. Um, he was almost like a bit of a mentor to me. He was 34, 35, had played in the league for Dagenham and teams like that. And he was really good friends with my current agent. And he said, listen, just come and watch, come and watch this kid. Um, he's playing non-league. I, I play up front with him, blah, blah, blah. Come and watch him and see what you think. So he came along, watched me and I, I then went and met him and obviously I, I, luckily for me I'd already had that relationship through Junior where Junior was saying listen I trust this guy and I so that, that for me that was good enough so I went and met him and he didn't didn't try and sell me a dream or anything he just said listen I think you've got talent I think you can make it um, so well, I'd like to sign you as an agent sort of thing and I, I'm still with him now so mm-hmm. you know, it wouldn't even cross my mind to, yeah, it's to leave time leave the agency so he's been absolutely brilliant with me he's a close family friend now so like, I think uh, if you're going to look at 100 cases I'm probably the one but um, yeah I'm really fortunate and I was I was really lucky at the time Another thing I know we're sort of bouncing back and forth here but you were talking about QPR and, and playing under absolute legends of the game and, and something I love asking people especially when I'm bringing on professionals you know what's some of the technical things that you learned from them? It was just like really subtle things that you wouldn't think of as like just very slight body positions and how to take a particular touch in the box that's going to maximise your space. And uh, the big one for me was like attacking attacking crosses with with Les Ferdinand, who, who would come out and we'd, we'd do a session every now and then and getting your body in and holding the ball up, which is something that uh, it's, I've definitely evolved into as a player I mean I can do that side of the game now and I, I hated doing it I really didn't want to do it all I wanted to do was run in behind so um, yeah I think working on my weaknesses was was massive and the, the, those those little sessions and those like I was saying those subtle little things re- really do help and it took me through your, your Northern Ireland debut yeah it was just looking back now it was just so surreal obviously I'd been on this crazy streak at Peterborough where I was called 13 in 14 or whatever it was, then moved to QPR. And then within a month or so, I was lining up uh, at Cardiff Stadium to play against Wales for, for the national team. Like, it was just incredible, really. Uh, I was on such a high. I was flying in training. I was scoring goals for fun. And I think that's obviously why, why the gaffer put me straight in um, against Wales. I think I only played the first half there. And I was thinking, oh no, I've had a stinker. And he's pulled me off. And he he pulled me after the game and he said, Listen, I, I, I want you to play again on against Slovenia at, at home. So that's that's why I took you off and we were going to do something slightly different formation-wise, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, all right. So then obviously then that one, that game rolls around and obviously to score the winner on my home debut in front of in front of all those fans against, against a very good side as well. And I mean, the timing of it couldn't have come any better, really. I think there was only one or two games before the, the Euros at that point. So 
to be able to sort of set down a marker and this is this is what I, I can bring to the table at that time was just perfect timing really I remember heading into the Euros and, and during the group stages and stuff that that all the Northern Ireland fans who, who, who couldn't make it I think it was at the Titanic quarter I don't know if you've seen it on like Facebook or whatever but they set up the big screens and there yeah. must have been about 10,000 people packed in and like it was just bonkers like it was crazy yeah it was you know, but I'll, I'll say it a lot probably but look at yeah looking back it was just the most surreal sort of six weeks ever and uh, you don't don't really appreciate it until you look back and think about it it was just mad really police escorts everywhere staying in a an unbelievable hotel in France and getting flown everywhere to games and playing in front of silly amounts of people in crazy stadiums against against the best players in the world um, it's something that I'm immensely proud of and I'll I'll forever be grateful of that obviously that I got given the opportunity to do that How did you find playing under Michael O'Neill? Yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah, he's been absolutely brilliant for me throughout my whole career, to be honest. Um, obviously, I spoke to him during his tenure and then and then after as well. He's he's brilliant. I think the job he's gone gone on to do at Stoke just sort of echoes that. Really, he's um, he's turned turned their fortunes around, <clears throat> and they they look like a proper side now after being they look like they were in serious trouble before he went in there. So, I think it just can't be underestimated what he's what he's done for the for the country and and obviously the national team especially but to get us to a major tournament with the player the pool of players that he had available to him I think obviously it was a golden generation if you like um, with with Dave O'Johnny and Craig and Stewie and obviously Laff as well I was flying at the time so but to to get all those lads together and pulling in the same direction and and like I say get us to that tournament is is incredible when you look at the teams that, that Kyle Lafferty has been at, like he's been at absolutely everybody. Like I think yeah, it was, crazy, I, think, I think he was playing on Italy with Dybala. <laughs> yeah, he's had a serious journeyman career. That boy. He's, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to see him doing so well. He's, he's not like, like I was saying earlier. He didn't become a bad player overnight, and um, obviously he's on a little bit of a drought on the international stage. But he scored a silly amount. I'm pretty sure he's scored a goal a game this year in the Scottish Premiership. It's just all about. Get probably for him getting back to a place that he knows um, with, with with his family around him, I would imagine, and and being in a league that he's scored plenty of goals in before, it could it can make all the difference, and hopefully he can translate that form into um, scoring goals again for Northern Ireland. Yeah, definitely. I think Kyle Offerty offers you something completely different because he's he's so big. You know, he holds the ball yeah. up well, and and he wins a lot of headers. Like he wins a lot of flick ons. Yeah, he's he's another one. He's been great for me to learn from him. To be honest, he scored so many goals at such crucial times throughout his career. Is just watching him in training and seeing the way he finishes and and things like that. And the, like you say, the way he links up plays, he's he's great and he's he's great to watch. And I think I love players that play with that passion as well. And he's he's got that in abundance. Mm-hmm. I think another one that that really stands out at Northern Ireland is Stephen Davis. Yeah, um, I mean, anybody, anybody that asks me, yeah, exactly that. Anybody that asks me, I, I always say he's the best player I've played with. And it's it's a it's a tough one as well because you you say what what is he, what sets him apart from everyone else, and you just think, yeah, he's obviously very good in every area, but it's not like he's a, a messy or a, like that sort of dribbler or anything like that or a, a top finisher. He's just 
incredibly good at reading the game of football. He, he understands the game better than anybody I've I've ever known. And his confidence in his own ability and his touch, his passing is just different level, really. Yeah, that's the one thing I would say. Like that, the football IQ. Yeah, massively. Yeah, it's, it's so evident with, with players like him and Johnny, especially, I think. See, when you're playing and you're training, obviously, with the, with the Northern Ireland team, would you be obviously would you be working with the centre backs and stuff, and them as trying to show you what the opposition's weaknesses is as such? Or uh, to be fair, I, I, when when we're doing shape and stuff, and obviously I'm up against people like Craig and Johnny and and G before and Husey and, and players like that that have played at that top level, I'm so, I, I'm trying to pick their brains and I'm saying, what what can I do in this situation that makes your job harder? Where where can I position myself and where does my body position need to be that causes you a problem? And they're great for that. Obviously, they want to help me because helping me helps the team. But also, they're they're all great guys as well. And they just they just want to they just want to help and they just want to get that knowledge that they've got across and and help as many people as possible. We'll get we'll get back to your Northern Ireland career. And I think it was your first free starts at Windsor, free goals. Yeah, yeah, you can't beat that because yeah, it was fantastic, and obviously those fans in there, and it was the, the timing of it was was brilliant as well. Um, and it's it's my favourite stadium to play in, to be fair, especially when it's full. It's just different level. Yeah, it gets loud. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, I genuinely thought it was like thirty, thirty-five thousand capacity. When I found out it was like what nineteen, twenty, I couldn't believe it. Hmm. Oh, it's it, it's good. Like I've been I've been in Windsor quite a number of times, but see see since Northern Ireland started to do, like used to be able to get tickets really really easy, but see since obviously the Euros and stuff like it's like it's like gold. You can't get your hands on them. <laughs> but we'll move on then, and um, you've obviously already talked about this, like the international matches with no fans. Do you think if you had had fans there for the Northern Ireland games, it would have made a massive difference? I think so, especially for that Slovakia game. I think with what was on the line and the way that they played, I think they just wouldn't have been able to control the game in the way they did if if there was fans. And I think it would have given us another level of intensity as well, to be honest. So I, I think we were a little bit sort of tepid and cautious. And I think with 20,000 making as much noise as they do, I just don't think we would have been able to start the game like that. So... I think I think you put twenty thousand fans in that stadium and play that game again. I think it's a totally different one. Yeah, I think it's almost the same as with any teams this year. You know, especially with Liverpool and stuff. You sort of think that you know, if we had had that atmosphere there, it would have been a completely different, especially the yeah. European games. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally agree. But we'll finish here, and I'll let you go because I know you're a busy man. So we'll ask you some questions that were submitted by fans. Yeah, go ahead. And one of the guys called Manny, he, he's asked, he says, what's your biggest regret in football? And then he's also, it's like a two-parter. He says, what's your proudest moment? Well, the, the proudest one is so easy. Um, just representing um, Northern Ireland in the Euros was something that is just miles ahead of anything I've done up until that point. So, yeah, that's an easy one. In terms of regrets, I, I wouldn't like to say I have any regrets as such because I've sort of just gone with the flow and maybe... Maybe my attitude and my, yeah, attitude's probably, it is the right word, but it's almost the wrong word at the same time at QPR because it wasn't going my way. And 
I think I probably should have knuckled down and doubled down there rather than probably trying to look for an exit, I think. But like I say, I learned a lot there and it didn't work out. So it is what it is. I wouldn't say there's there's any regrets there as such. I think I'm a firm believer in, you know, that the hard times in life is almost what makes you better. You know, it, it builds character, it builds all those other attributes. You know, you have to go for it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. And it was it was a tough time. It genuinely was. Um, and like I've said many times, I learned a lot. And it made me a it made me a better person. It made me appreciate appreciate what I'm doing even more. How have you sort of found? Obviously, like you were saying at, at the very start, social media wasn't really a big, but the, the influence of social media now, because almost like everybody has an opinion on what you should be doing. <laughs> yeah, that was what I struggled with the QPR. To be honest, it was I've only just recently come back on social media. I, well, publicly, obviously, I had, I had private stuff, but. Um, I mean, Charlton's been great. Um, we didn't have a great season, but I did okay personally. But I think I'm at, I'm at that stage now where I'm sort of comfortable in my own skin. I know what I bring to the table. Um, I know what I can do. I know what I can't do. And like I say, I've got I've got that self confidence. And maybe earlier in my career, I didn't have that. So the abuse probably probably affected me more than. Well, it did affect me more than it would now. I mean, now I just see it as I see it as what it is. A lot of a lot of these people need that release and we're just sort of punching bags ready for them. So mm-hmm. they, they've had a hard week, Monday to Friday. They go to a game on Saturday. They want to shout at somebody, basically. So uh, I'm comfortable with that. It is what it is. Um, it's not ideal, obviously, but we, we try and take it on board as much as we can. And obviously, there's a difference between abuse and criticism as well. I mean, if I've had a stinker, for, a, for the first thing is I know I've had a stinker. So I'm not expecting to go on Twitter and see... Washington was brilliant today, um, but the, the fans know what they're going to get from me. They're going to get 110 percent every time I step out on that pitch. I mean, if that's not enough for them, then obviously that if that's their opinion, like you say. Do you think before, like you sort of got rid of whatever social media you had, or were you sort of reading the comments and stuff and getting sucked into that? Um, it wasn't so much reading the comments. It was like I couldn't really get away from it because obviously with a public Twitter. People could just at me all the time. So, I mean, if I if I wanted to look at my notifications at all, I had to sift through however many messages of abuse and and stuff like that. So, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a particularly nice nice environment. So I just decided to step away from it because I just didn't really need that negativity. Obviously, the things weren't going particularly well as it was. So, um, did I need that that negativity on top of that? Probably not. It's one of those ones, and the more people I've talked to in the professional game is with any sport, it's like there, there's levels to it. You know, with people commenting and they're saying what you should have done, their understanding of what football is is incredibly basic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when you're looking Especially at that, when it's level, kids, yeah, I mean, yeah. sometimes you look at photo, the photos of whoever it is, and they're 11, 12 years old, and you're thinking, oh dear. So, yeah, there's. <laughs> There was definitely an element of that to it. It wasn't like I was taking things taking things to heart, and it affected me in that in that re- uh, in that respect. It was more just like I just didn't need that negativity, sort of on my phone at the time. No, I can I can understand that. It's it's just it's just one of those things. Like everyone always has an opinion. It's like the manager should have done this. They should have brought this player on. 
But then when you actually talk to the people who are involved in the situation, they're like, well, that's why we didn't do this. You know, there, there's always yeah. a reason to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and football is all about opinion. I think that's the brilliant thing about it. Um, that some, I mean, I've had it before. I mean, I've scored two in a game and I've, I've had somebody on Twitter say that I was terrible in the game, just happened to score two. So if people have got an agenda against you, that's it. That they're going to find whatever they can to to dig you out. So you've got to you've got to take everything with a pinch of salt, I think. And like I say, a lot of it is just sort of that that pressure valve, just releasing that pressure valve. And if it makes them feel better, then we've done our jobs, I guess. Yeah, I suppose that's that's the one way to look at it. That's sort of. To be in any sort of public light, you sort of have to have a thick skin because everybody's always going to have an opinion on what you're doing and you can be doing the best thing in the world but someone will always be there to criticise it. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, you can't win. I mean, Messi and Ronaldo. I mean, Ronaldo has been booed at the Bernabeu at some point through his career. <laughs> so yeah, if he's, if he's getting booed, then what chance for the rest of us got? Yeah, no, you're, no, you're 100%. You're 100% right. And I have another question for you and... You sort of answered it before, so we'll we'll really die, Stephen Davis. Who who's the best players that you have played with and against? The ones that stand out for you? Uh, yeah, Davo Johnny, obviously right up there. Uh, David McGoldrick at Sheffield United, just incredible player. Um, great great to play with and great to watch as well. Uh, played against in terms of like being directly against them. Uh, Hummels was different level. Uh, and also um, Sule, the, the other centre-half for Germany. I think he played in the home game. He's enormous. Yeah, six foot four, <laughs> six five. Yeah, he's, diff- he's massive. His neck is thicker than my waist, I think. Um, and then Ozil as well in the Euros was, was crazy to watch. And obviously recently, Haaland as well. Mm-hmm. Um Tore us, tore us to shreds in the home game, and I think he's going to go on to be an absolute superstar. To be honest, uh, and seeing seeing that up close is is a massive privilege and obviously something I'll I'll cherish for for a long time. He's one that's had like sort of a very quick rise, considering how young he is. But you yeah. can see you can especially, see like just the athleticism. Yeah, especially as a striker as well, because he does a lot of things as a striker that you would expect somebody much, much more experienced him to be doing. His little movements and his movement in the box is just incredible. And you couple that with, like you say, the athleticism he's got and it's, it's a scary prospect really. But I mean, obviously his dad was a, was a really good player and he's, he's been around really good players and strikers. Obviously Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was his manager, wasn't he? So obviously they're from the same country. So I'm assuming they've got, uh, a, a decent bond there, and it, he looks like he's been he's learned from a very young age how to be a top striker. Do you think that the older you get in football, your game sort of slightly changes? Like you mentioned yourself, like you're always looking to run behind, and now sort of learn to hold the ball up as well. Do you think that's just like a natural progression? Yeah, I mean, if you look at, it, I've only been playing professional football full time, training for nine years essentially, so. Um, I didn't have the luxury of of being in an academy and getting taught all these things technically and things like that. So it's just, it's all been a learning process for me. And I'm still learning now. Uh, I had a good chat with the manager at Charlton just before I left. And and he says that 29, 30, 31 for a striker is your prime. Obviously, physically, I feel I feel great. Um, coming off the back of, of a, 
a, a good season worth of games. Um, probably need a bit of a rest, to be honest, just because I've not played this much in a, in a little while. But technically, I feel probably the best I've ever felt. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm learning every day. I'm still still trying to get better every day. And like, like I say, in the, I've only been doing it nine or ten years, so I still feel like five, six years' time, I, I might not physically obviously be at the level I am now, but I'm going to be an even better player then. I think the, the, the one thing that, that Northern Ireland fans appreciate is the amount of running that you were doing in the game and, and the pressing. You know, that, that's that's a thing that, that probably that, that we pride ourselves on is pressing people and, you know, when we are defending, like rushing people, making it hard, making it difficult. Yeah, I think, obviously, the, I think the mentality as a country is very much hard work and honesty and, and graft and things like that. And it's something that really resonates with me. That I think that's, as a footballer, that should be the bare minimum. I mean, we get to, this is what we do for a living. If you can't be fit and you can't get yourself to a level where you can rap for 90 minutes, then you're letting yourself down and you're letting your teammates down and you're letting whoever else down as well. So, yeah, for me, and I think you see that with us as well, it's, it is the bare minimum that you go and do that. I mean, you see someone like Stuart Dallas, he's different level. Um, and you look at the level he's playing at now and it's just incredible. And he's, he's taking it to, yeah, he's taking it up another gear. So with obviously the, the help of the Leeds fitness team and whatever, he just looks like a different animal uh, from when I from when I first joined up with the squad. Um and yeah, like you say, it's a, it's a, it should be a given for any player and especially for the national team where um, where it's been so important throughout the time that I've been there that, that we get after teams and we make it hard for them. Do you think Shane will get a move over to England again or wherever it is? And obviously playing full-time football at the moment with Linfield, but do you think he'll, he'll move on past that? I'm probably talking yeah, about the move I'd... here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'd be surprised if he didn't. I, he might he might want another season, like getting to play under obviously David Healy is yeah. that's an incredible privilege for him. And from obviously watching the games I did when I was injured, uh, the USA games, he's come on again from when I last saw him. And he's always been a good finisher. It's just he just needs to just to polish up those other side of his of his game really the holding up the link play the when to move when not to move when to get his body and things like that and you couldn't have a better teacher than, than David Healy so if I was him I'd probably want to work under under him for as long as I could and I, there's no rush to get back over to England um, but obviously he's what 21 22 now and he scored ahead of a lot of goals this year and done really well so i and strikers that are scoring goals are a sort of massive commodity. So would I be surprised if he moved? No, not at all. And would he deserve it? Yeah, definitely. He looks like he's getting uh, fitter and bigger, so he does. To be honest, I think that's probably just one of the things of age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I was exactly the same at his age. Um, he looks like he's filling out and becoming... I mean, he's obviously, he's obviously always been stocky, but going into full-time football at an immense game, he'll be, like you say, getting fitter, getting stronger and... If he just keeps applying himself in the way that he does day in day out, then there's a there's a hell of a player in there. I think so. And we'll finish on this question. It's it's the one I like to finish on because one of the things I would like to do is I sort of collect tops or, or memorabilia and just things like that. Do you have any shirts in the house that that, that you're proud of having? Um, do you know what? I've not actually got because we move so much. I've never actually got around to putting any of them up. 
but I've still got some. Um, I gave actually stupidly gave quite a few away of the Euros ones, but I've still got a couple left, and um, they'll be the ones that I treasure the most for sure. And they'll be the ones I'll, I get. Also, I've got my. I have actually got my debut shirt from the Wales game framed as well. So mm. it's in storage at the minute. It'd just be a case of uh, obviously finding a finding a house that we like after I retire and, and shoving everything up on the wall. Do you have a place that once you retire, do you know where you want to live or is it still in discussion? Yeah, still in discussion. I wouldn't necessarily say I have a home as such where where all my family are. We're pretty much dotted around. So, But we loved, we loved being up in Edinburgh. We really enjoyed that when, when I was obviously playing for Hearts. So that, that would be a, a big consideration, I would say. Mm-hmm. Would you say uh, Edinburgh is your favourite place that you've lived at the minute? Yeah, I would say so, yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I'll definitely have to have you on again. I've, I've really enjoyed this chat. Thank you very much for your time. No, pleasure. Thank you for thank you for inviting me. It's been good. Not a problem, sir. Thank you very much.